please, uh, I will ask you to open the Bible and the Gospel of John. John chapter 9. And this morning I preached from the first uh, seven verses, or the, the first seven verses. Um, we'll read up to 12, and in the afternoon I hope to preach the last bit of this uh, healing of this blind-born man. Here God's word speaks to us. John 9, verse 1. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he, Jesus, had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. So far the reading of God's word. Blessed are you if you not only read God's word, but take the word of God in your heart and live according to the word of God. So today we are looking to this story of a man born blind. And it is, we must, when we read the Gospel of John, we must keep in our eye, why did John write this Gospel? And he wrote this Gospel in order that you might believe Jesus Christ, that he is the Lord he is God. And so we see through the Gospel of John different uh, points in which he shows that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We see it in, uh, for example, in the statements where Jesus is saying, I am, for example, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. In those, we see who Jesus is, but also in the miracles. And we come across this miracle. This is the sixth miracle that we find in the Gospel of John, which shows that Jesus Christ is God's Son, that He is God. And that He is able not only to open the eyes physically, but He is able 
to open the heart, to renew the heart, a dead heart, into life. So Jesus, we, we, when we look into this, we see that Jesus finds a man blind and in need. And when we read this, this is just a man. We, we don't find the name of him. It's one of the many who were sitting there and just were begging, trying to get some food day by day, keeping up empty hands. And as the story unfolds, we see that he was, he was blind for many years. His whole life, he was blind. And this day again, like all the other days, like the day before, day before, the year before, this day again, he came to the same place, sat down and started begging. And just like this day, again, this day was full of darkness. Not only the darkness of his eyes, but also the darkness of his heart. And his whole life was surrounded by darkness. But this particular day, this glorious day, things will be different. Amen. And we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is passing by this man. And he saw this man. It's not this man who cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. But we read that Jesus saw this man. Jesus saw the blind with eyes of compassion. And the eyes of Jesus to see more in that sense than human eyes can see. He knew who this man was. He knew about the life of him. He saw his heart. But especially he saw the lostness, the real darkness of his heart. And for someone who is blind, life at that time had not much value. Life is more tormentous than joyful. Birth from blind. Blind from birth. And as we know that when we, well, we know where blindness comes from, in the beginning, Adam and Eve, they sinned. Sin came over the world, over every human. And it brought also forward sickness and illness. And if we look into the story, but also others, and we, we see around in this world um, the state of the world, the state of human being, um, we must be hating sin. We must be hating sin. When we go back to this story, uh, in our days we have many facilities to help blind people. Uh, they can do work. Uh, we have modern tools. They are able to read. They are able to do uh, work. But at that time, to be blind was to wear a heavy cross. To be blind was to live in a very small world. And most of his joy was taken away. His life was completely dependent on other people. How joyous it is when we read this, that the eyes of the Savior, the eyes of Jesus Christ were falling upon this man, that Jesus had compassion for his poor soul. And then we see the disciples. And when we read this, we are only able to see what is in view. 
But there was a special reason why this man was born blind. And when the disciples see this blind man, they ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he's blind? And the question is, who is guilty? What is the reason for his blindness? What did he wrong? And they assumed that there was a, a, a specific sin, which was the reason, cause, the caution for his blindness. But on the board, we see another assumption. If we, if we think this through, we see another assumption, which is this. They thought it is not possible that God can do any wrong to a person who is not guilty. That's also in the water. But when we read this question, we know also that this question, this type of question is not new. This is not something that we see just here in the New Testament. But as we read the story of Job, uh, the friends of Job accused him for, for sin. They said there must be sin in your life because of the situation in your life. God is not unfair to you, Job, in punishing you. And yes, it is surely possible that a specific sin is the cause for illness. I would say, uh, go back with me, flip back to John 5.15. We see an example. Is that... that the right one let me see that's the man who was healed at the pool of Bethesda and there is a reason for his illness yes verse 14 afterwards Jesus found him in the temple and said to him see you have been made well sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you so we see there is a connection between his sin and between his illness. Or if we go further back into the Old Testament, and we go to the book of Numbers, for example, we see Miriam and Aaron, they murmur against Moses, what happens? The result, Miriam is immediately uh, punished with leprosy. Or if we read through the New Testament and we read uh, about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, we read... Uh, because of the unworthy way of eating and drinking, many were sick um, and, or even died. Or if we go to Acts 12, Herod, um, people kept shouting a voice of God and not of a man, and immediately an angel struck him, so he died. But it is not always, uh, it is not always the case that uh, sickness and uh, a specific sin are connected. Uh, we read that, for example, in Luke chapter 13. There it says there were present at the season some who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all alike, likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all, 
all likewise perish. They didn't die because of the, the, the bigger or the more sin. And this is the point that what we see in this, that we are not allowed to point our finger to someone in that sense. We are not judges. And we often say to our children when they, they are pointing, he did this, and we say always, look at your hand. There are three fingers pointing to you towards yourself. Don't point to others. And in that sense, judgment belongs to God. But also when this story unfolds, we see that something that God is also sovereign. That everything in our lives is under his sovereignty. The great parts of the world, the great things in the world, but also the small particles. And he is absolutely free to act according to his sovereign will. And so it is with our lives. So it is with your life. Our lives belong not to ourselves. Our lives belong to him. And he is sovereign. He is sovereign also over our body. And the thing that we have to do is to recognize that he is sovereign. And that doesn't mean that suffering is always the result of a specific sin. We see here that God can use it for his own glory. Listen to this question of the disciple. Who had sinned? In other words, there must be a pattern causes his blindness. And they thought probably their parents were living in sin, which justifies his blindness. Listen to the answer of Jesus. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sins. And let me clarify this, that Jesus didn't meant that they were absolutely perfect, sinless. That's, what, that's not what Jesus meant. And Jesus said, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. This is happened so that there is a specific reason why this man has been blind his whole life so that the works of God will be revealed in him. And I don't know you all. Maybe you're sitting here and wrestling with particular issues your whole life. Maybe you're wrestling with illness for many years. Or maybe with chronic diseases and you cry sometimes out, why, oh Lord, why? And we are not always given the answer to this cry. We are not always given the reasons why. But even in the midst of suffering and trial, the Lord calls us to trust him unconditionally. Unconditionally. He calls us to trust in him and he calls us to recognize his work in our lives but he calls us also to rejoice in him. And probably many of you will know the story of Horatio Spafford. Spafford, his son died in the year 1871 and then in Chicago there was a, a big fire in that city and he lost everything he had. He lost his business. He lost his money. 
Then he said in the year 1873 to his wife and his three daughters who left, go to Europe, I will follow quickly after. And uh, they did go on the ship and there was a, the ship came into collision on the ocean and it sunk and also his four daughters drowned. And it's not as in our days, but it took a while before she could send him a telegram with just two words, saved, alone. And he took immediately a ship to Europe to be with his wife. And while he was going over the ocean, traveling over the ocean by ship, he was looking over the waves knowing that these waves, this ocean, took away all that what he had, his daughters, his four daughters. And he wrote this song, this hymn. When peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast called me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Is it well? Yes, it is well with my soul. You know, Spafford had been on the school of grace. He had learned to live on grace alone, through faith alone. Even in the midst of what we would say, well, what a mess, what a trouble. And he could not imagine that that loss the terrible loss that it will be echoing today in this church. He could not imagine that the Lord uses this in a strange way. And you see, often we, we, we don't understand. We can't clarify. We can't say why things are happening. And here also in this story, it was God's sovereign will to cast blindness upon him with a special reason. Not because of his sinfulness, but because the display of God's grace in Christ Jesus. It was grace that he was born blind. Although it must be incomprehensible to him, it must be unbearably hard for his parents to see their child blind born. It must have brought many tears. The moments that he heard the children playing outside when he was sitting there staring for him in the darkness. The moments that in, in Israel there were the feasts and he heard the joy of the, those who were outside and he was sitting there. Never able to catch a glimpse of the beauty of nature. Never able to catch a glimpse of the sun. But as mysterious as it seems, so inscrutable for a human being, it was foreordained in God's eternal decree that this man should be born blind, and that he would have many years of suffering. It was in the good plan of God that he had go to go through all the years of misery, that he had to beg for many years. But God had good reasons for this. God had good reasons. Many years he works towards this mysterious, this sovereign plan up to this moment, this glorious moment that Jesus walked by and his eye fell upon this beggar. 
all the years. It was in God's plan. It was perfect arranging God's schedule. And God's ways are mysterious for us. We can't see his ways. But he acts in providence and ultimate wisdom. That's the thing we must grab. He, God, acts in ultimate wisdom. And he allows illness. He allows hardship. So that the works of God should be revealed. So that we experience his mercy when he helps us. Oh, brothers and sisters, I ask you to come and sit down in the school of grace. In the school of grace. And let us ask the teachers to come in. Let us firstly ask Joseph. Joseph, would you come and teach us how to be faithful, how to trust the Lord, even though it seems like all darkness. And then after Joseph, we ask Job, come in, please come in and teach us. Teach us about the grace of God. And we know that in the story of Job, we saw something that in the heavenly things, we, we, we have a glimpse what is what was happening in heaven. We see Satan come before God. And God said, did you see my, my servant Job? And Satan said, well, no wonder that he's living a godly life. Stretch your hand out against him and he will curse you and he will flee from you. And God allowed. God allowed him to take away so many things. Why? In order that the works of God should be revealed in him. I want you to see the reason for his blindness. It is to glorify Christ. And maybe we know this verse from Romans. It's well known. Romans 8, 28. We know all things works together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But do we also know what it really means to us in our lives? You know, often we can't understand. I, I, I must think on a story. We are living in Urk. It's a small village. Everyone knows each other. And a few weeks ago, a young man, 16 years old, got on his bike in the morning, half past five, left home. And um, someone found a bicycle alongside the road near a very swollen water, just, I think it's maybe 20 centimeters deep. And he was laying in the water. And there was a small bit of ice on top because it was freezing. And uh, they, well, they tried to reanimate him. Probably it was epilepsy. Uh, that he fell from his bicycle into the water. And just this deep. And we cry, oh, oh Lord, why? And these parents, they are the same age of me. And this is not the first child they lost. And at the same time, we say, Glory, glorify your holy name, O Lord. We don't know why. We cry with them. But use it for your glory. We must go on. 
We are in the, first, the fourth verse. And there Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. And some uh, translation says, we must work the works of him who sent me. And that included the disciples. And we see Christ worked fully in agreement with the will of his Father. And from the moment eternity passed, the moment that he came to this earth, he lived fully accordingly to the will of his Father. Every moment, yes, he was even obedient unto his death. When he spoke those words, let not my will be done, but let your will be done. And Jesus had no moment of easiness sitting down in the couch and say, well, not now, Father. Give me just this ten minutes. Give me five minutes just to rest, to do my own will. No, Jesus was always doing the will of the Father. And even that moment in Gethsemane, and blood came from him. When he looked forward to this terrible death, which was in front of him. The moment that he knows that the darkness would come upon him, the wrath of God, that he had to cry, My God, my God, why art thou forsaken me? He, he saw this, and he prayed, Let thy will be done. Therefore, let us take Christ as an ultimate example. Let us be men and women doing the will of God. And let us use our time wisely. By walking in the ways of the Lord. Because Jesus said in this, in this text, the night is coming when no one can work. There will be a night when no one can work. And therefore, use your time wisely. Brothers and sisters, our life is like a piece of grass. It's, it's, it's here now, but tomorrow it's gone. And no one does knows where it's what it was. We don't even know the place where it was. And therefore, Paul writes, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Redeeming the time. And this is not just only a good advice. It's not just a good advice, but a command. Redeem the time that God gives you. And to the youth, I would say, don't spill your time with games, YouTube, don't spill your time that God gave you with all the things which maybe you think they are important, which, which aren't, but to redeem the time. And I know we live in a time and an age which is so difficult for the youth. When you have a phone, it is so easy. It's so easy to sit on Facebook and afterwards you think, okay, what did, what did I do? Why, I took one and a half hour, two hours, just... I'm wasting my time. You see, satanic, the forces of Satan are powerful. Never forget they are powerful. But let us bow our knees. Let us pray for the expansion of his kingdom. And let us pray that the gospel may advance in our days. Pray that sinners may turn to Christ. Because there will be a night that no one can work. And you are here in, in a body of believers, placed in this church. You are placed here for a reason. 
You are placed here for a reason to glorify His holy name. So redeem your time, using it in the word of God and in prayer. Pray that His kingdom will grow. Pray for times of revival. Pray that God and His mercy will come down again and visit us once more. Pray that we may hear spiritual babes crying for milk. That we may see people converted from darkness into the wonderful light. Christ, he came to this world as the light which is shining in the darkness. The light is shining in the darkness. He is the true light. The only one true light. He was in the past... He was prophesied in the past, as we read the Old Testament, as we read, for example, Isaiah, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you. And he came as the light, as we read in John 8. I am the light of the world. And not only that, in the future, he will be the light. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine it in it for the glory of God illuminated. The lamp is its light. Now we come to the last bit of it. The power which healed the blind born. And we read in verse 6, When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And herein, maybe you ask yourself, why is the Lord using this saliva, clay, and spitting on the ground? And herein, we see that the Lord used different means to accomplish healing. Because one word of his lips would be enough to heal this blind man. But he uses his own means to accomplish his goal. And so it is in our lives he can use a different means and different ways. Also, if we think on, on being born again, some of us are maybe born again uh, as we were young, teenager, gripped by God's grace, transformed, placed in his wonderful light. Others who are maybe involved in a car accident and immediately think about their eternity. Others who are on their dying bed, like this thief on the cross, have mercy upon me. So we see that he is using his own means and ways, but he spat on the ground and made clay. And while well, I was pondering over this, why is the Lord doing this? Why was the Lord spitting on the ground, making clay? Well, probably the thing is that it is. Um, Showing us that uh, about creation and recreation. Uh, God created man out of the dust of the earth. Genesis chapter 2, 7. So that we can see in this that God created man, but he also in Christ does make being born again. Maybe you wonder still, why spitting and why saliva? And I was thinking when I was going through this, I thought, well, if I would be in the same position, when I would have to heal some man, would I do this? Probably no. And you see in this, God's ways 
are not our voice. This seems to me, and probably most of us, the least suitable means. But we must not forget that he is God. He is God. He is able to bring forward water from a rock. God is able to split the sea. God is able to use a man, David, the young boy, to kill the giant. So he is using his means. And then Jesus sent him to Siloam. Now, Siloam is the water uh, from the Hezekiah Tunnel, which flowed to the Kidron Valley. And then, and then our, our Bible says, which is translated, send. And there is a reason. There must be a reason why, driven by the Holy Spirit, John wrote, this is translated, send. Because Siloam, uh, in the Hebrew language, is Salah. Salah is the word sent, or he that is sent. And in this we see the hint of reference to Jesus Christ. So it says in depth, Go and wash you in him, the one who is sent. He who is the fountain of the living water. In Christ we see the fulfillment of the promises. He is the Messiah who was promised. As was spoken by Isaiah. In that day deaf shall hear the words of the book. And the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Or in chapter 42. Hear you deaf. Look you blind that you may see. And we ask ourselves how can a deaf person hear? How can a blind man see? How can a dead person, how can he live? We will say, well, that's not possible. How can a sinner be forgiven? And there is only one way to go through him and wash you in him in his precious blood that he gave on that cross on Calvary. That's the only way. So he did. He went, he washed, came back seeing. Just came, washed, came back seeing. We see immediately he followed the commandment of Jesus Christ. He didn't ask, he didn't doubt, he didn't wait, but he went on the commandment of Jesus Christ. And did you see it in this story? Nowhere we read that this blind man was speaking with Jesus. He didn't ask to be healed. He didn't speak a single word. Probably, maybe he didn't hear that he would be healed. Just the commandment, go and wash. The only thing that he heard was the commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go wash in the pool. How different than the reaction of Naaman in the Old Testament. Who resisted in the first place. This is also the commandment to us. Go wash in him. You need to wash yourself in him, in the blood of Christ Jesus. Maybe you say, well, it is impossible for me. I don't have faith. Or maybe you think, well, I'm not an elected person. Or you say, it's not for me. Or maybe you think, well, I, I sin too much. Maybe another person is saying, well, I'm too old, I'm afraid. Or maybe another is saying, well, I'm too young. I'm just a child. Read your Bible. 
Listen to the words of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. It's not up to you to reason. It's not up to you to wait. It's not me who is saying these words to you. It is the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. The king of kings and lord of lords. It's your creator who is saying, go, repent and believe. And if he bids you to go, if he's the one who bids you to go, you can go. When he asked the, par- the man with the paralyzed hand, stretch out your hand, we would say it's impossible. Impossible. But when Jesus speaks, it is possible. And he did go without questioning. And he came back seeing. For the first time in his life, he could see the bright colors of the sun. He could see the colors of the grass. He could see the people. He could see everything. What a joy it must be for him to wash him and to be able to see everything after all these long, dark years. So it shows us that Jesus is able to open the eyes of the blind. Not only that, but it shows us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he is God himself. That which is, was impossible for a human being to heal this man. It's possible by God. But this blindness, and we will see further on, also in the afternoon, that his blindness is picturing the natural blindness of our souls because of our sins. The only thing that we can say, but God. But God. In Christ, in his atoning work, he alone is able to open the eyes of the blind. (coughs) Maybe he opened your eyes years ago. And you know the Lord for many years. I hope that this, this particular healing that will bring joy again in thinking back, this is what the Lord has done to me. He opened my eyes. He was the one who had mercy upon me. It was the, it were the eyes of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who turned his eyes upon a poor sinner like me. Or maybe you are sitting here. You are like this blind beggar. I would say flee to him. Flee to him. And repent. Believe that he is able to save the uttermost. And those who will flee to him, those who really repent, they will receive new life. Their eyes will be opened. There's no question about this. There's no single sinner who is turning to Jesus Christ, who repented from his sins, who not get new life from him there's no single sinner no single sinner who put his trust in Jesus Christ the savior who will be ashamed now all who did trust in him are renewed in life and been given 
sight and light. Amazing grace, how sweet that sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Amen.